Well, we are in part two of this message series about forgiveness. And last week, we began by just recognizing that everyone listening to this message has something in common. And one of those things that we have in common is this, that we have all been hurt by someone. And for some of you, you might be thinking, that's an understatement. I've been hurt by just about everyone. The reality is, is that because we live in a sinful world, the people that we interact with, even in our closest relationships, they are sinners as well. And so we have had experiences with hurt, whether there are things that are unloving, unkind, and sometimes we'll just be real, things that we've had to face that was sin done against us. And last week, I asked you to visualize during this message uh, the hurt that you've felt like the needles or the thorns on a cactus, that when someone has hurt you or sinned against you, it's as if they're putting an Again, this week, I'm not going to actually hold on to the cactus, but they're putting this cactus right into your hands, and it hurts. And the question then, as you visualize holding on to this thorny cactus, the question that we wanted to answer last week is this, what do you do with that thing that hurts you? There is going to be hurt in this life, this side of heaven, because of sin, what do you do when you face that hurt? And there were three potential things we looked at that people do with their hurt. Uh, the first one we looked at is that sometimes what people will do is they'll throw it back or they'll give it back to someone. So you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You gave me the silent treatment, I'm going to give you the silent treatment. You hit me, kids, I'm going to hit you. And what we said about this way of reacting to the hurt is that it's probably the one that comes most naturally. And in some ways, from just a purely earthly perspective, it makes sense. If someone hurts you, well, it would make sense that they should get what's coming back to them. But the challenge or the problem is, one of many problems with that, is that hurting someone back doesn't bring the peace that we hoped it would. Instead, over the long term, it just means more people are getting hurt. The other thing that sometimes people with, do with hurt is they just hold on to it and hold on to it and hold on to it. And, and they may not give it back to someone, but at the very same time, we're not addressing it either. And as the years go on, the thorns and the needles, they, they poke deeper and deeper, and sometimes we don't even recognize it until we see that person or until that situation comes up again. And when we just continue to hold on to it, imagine just holding on to these thorns for the rest of your life, it, it causes pain and bitterness and a life filled with certain frustrations but there's another thing we can do with that hurt. Instead of throwing it back, instead of holding on to it, we can let go of it. We can put it down. 
And that was the, the definition of forgiveness that I wanted you to take away from last week and from this series. That one way to define forgiveness is by letting go of the thing that hurts you. I'm not going to get back. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm putting it down. And in many ways, when you think about what God directed us to do with the hurt, I'll say it this way, that this makes sense. It, it makes sense that throwing it back or giving it back to a person would not bring long-term peace. It makes sense that for me to just keep holding on to this thing is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt anyone else. So that doesn't make sense. It makes sense, doesn't it? that the best thing to do with a cactus plant in your hand is to stop holding on to it and to put it down. It makes sense, but it's not easy. You know what's easy? Listening to a message about forgiveness. What's easy is filling in the blanks during sermon notes and nodding our heads and thinking, yeah, that's a good idea, pastor. That's a great idea, God, as we read through the passages. It's easy to talk about. It's very hard to do. And especially when that hurt is deep, especially when that hurt came from a particular person, let's say, that was very close to us? The question that I think is important for us to address a little more specifically today is the, the question in front of us. How do I forgive? Or, or maybe we could say it this way, how do I forgive that how do I forgive this thing that every time a pastor talks about forgiveness or someone talks about forgiveness, that it's the first thing I think about because that's how deeply it hurt. How do I forgive that thing? In 2018, Rachel Den Hollander, who was a former a gymnast, she, uh, was the first one to speak out against sexual abuse that was had from a former team physician named Larry Nasser. Some of you remember this because rightly so, it was all over the news. After Rachel came out with sharing this hurt, um, over 200 more women, 200 more gymnasts came out sharing their own stories of being uh, abused by Larry Nasser. Rachel Den Hollander wrote a memoir, uh, a kind of autobiography of her life and her journey. And in that memoir, she wrote a little bit about her struggle in this situation with forgiveness. Here's one of the things she said. I did want to forgive Larry, but I didn't want my forgiveness to be used as an excuse to act as if something terrible wasn't really that bad. And there's a lot of reasons why forgiving a deep hurt from the past is difficult. This is one of them. It feels a little bit like you're just letting that person off the hook or that it wasn't a really big deal. 
And Rachel goes on in her book to say that she tried a lot of different things. And at one point in the midst of her frustration and trying to get through this hurt, she said what she tried to do, she called it, she tried to address it through the secular path. Because this forgiveness thing that God directed her to didn't seem to be working. And so the secular path, the way that she describes it, was addressing this hurt without God and seeing if just doing whatever she wanted to do about it would maybe help bring her to better feeling and a better place. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do to that person whatever feels right to me. I'm going to find justice in whatever way I want to find justice, as long as it's not against the law. And what she thought was that this was going to be liberating for her. To not have to be constrained by what God directs her to. To not have this guilt of like, okay, I'm not forgiving, but I need to forgive, and it's going to bring her freedom. But interestingly enough, she found by taking God out of the equation, when it comes to hurts from the past, it actually made it harder. Here's what she said. If truth's parameters, what's right and wrong, were established by people alone, that there is no God because she took it out of the equation, I had no way to define evil or even justice for that matter. So removing God didn't fix the problem of evil. It actually made it worse. When there is no God, when you take him out of the equation, all of a sudden everything is fair game and there is no definite definition of right or wrong or justice or hurt. And when she took God out of the equation with her hurt, it just caused her more confusion. So, as you and I continue to work towards forgiveness or to understand it better, as we tackle this question of how do I forgive, the thing that I think is so important to start with is this, our first fill-in for today, that the key to forgiveness is God. That forgiveness just gets harder without God. That working through past hurts or what to do with the cactus in our hands becomes even more difficult if we try to handle it without God and his truth. And so today, what we want to look at specifically is what about God? And what place does he play in this? And, and how in understanding God better can that make it in some ways easier, at least more understandable, about the importance to forgive. Now, to tackle this, this question, to see what God has to tell us, not just some preacher, um, we're going to turn to another letter that was written by a pastor named Paul. We, we looked at some words that he wrote last week. Uh, today, we're going to look at a different letter that he wrote to some Jesus followers, some Christians, who happened to live in a city that I would say was the epicenter of hurt for people who follow Jesus. The epicenter of hurtful things. That's an understatement. 
for Christians. It was the city of Rome. And I know the things that maybe you've gone through have been super hurtful. Obviously, what Rachel Denhollander went through was horrible. These Roman Christians, they certainly did not have an easy life. And so many of them knew friends and family members who had been murdered for their faith. And then Paul writes to them about forgiveness. And you can just imagine how for some of them that must have felt and how that must have hit as you saw a family member um, persecuted or even killed. And yet, this is God's truth for us. We turn to Romans chapter 12, and Paul writes this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And the reason why I'm pausing here is because I really want you to to focus in on what he calls the things that were happening to these Roman Christians. He calls them evil. Not slights, not irritations. The things they were going through just were downright evil. The things that Rachel Denhollander and the rest of those gymnasts went through are evil. And the reason why I want you to to think about that when it comes to your life is these words that follow, they apply to you. It doesn't matter how bad the thing that happened to you was when it comes to whether these words apply. Because evil is an umbrella word in the Greek that has to do with big things and small things, with deliberate things, with accidental things, all things, right? These words were for Roman Christians 2,000 years ago and American Christians in 2023. He continues, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So next week, we're going to have an entire message that uh, talks about how to navigate the reality that sometimes there needs to be consequences when it comes to sin and hurt, and sometimes there needs to be boundaries, and, 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 and that's next week. The reality is, notice that Paul doesn't say that we need to be friends, best friends with everyone in this world. We don't have to hang out with everyone. But he does say that it's important that we live at peace with everyone, that we are civil with everyone that when they are around or in the room, that we treat them like Jesus would treat them, that we are to live, as it says, at peace with everyone. And and then he continues in verse 19. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, again, I'm going to pause and remind you of something that I mentioned last week, that leaving room for God to act 
in the realm of your hurt does not mean that when certain circumstances or situations happen that we do nothing at all. Um, A Christian can follow what God has directed us and still call the authorities. A Christian can set up boundaries and recognize that it is not it is not safe for our relationship to be exactly the way it used to be. But what he is saying here is that declaration that we had last week of just declaring that I'm not in control and we'll come back to this in a moment, that I trust God has got this. And then he goes on to say, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. All right, that's what I'm talking about, God. You're going to get them back. And I've got a list of things you could do. Just ask me if you need a list. Uh, take away their job. Give them a flat tire. Give their dog fleas. All right, let's just, I, I've got a list for them. And there's this part in us that when it comes to this verse and God being the one to avenge and and God repaying, that we have a picture in our mind of what exactly that is supposed to look like. And we have a picture in our mind of of how that's supposed to go. And then you know what happens? That sometimes when the hurt happens, the person who hurt us, they go on with their life and it seems as if they're actually better off than they used to be. It seems as if they have this great life and I'm the one that was hurt and I'm the one that is suffering. Where's the justice? Where's the repayment? And I get that. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But for now, like with many things, it's important for us to just recognize and realize that there is way more that God knows and there is way more going on in circumstances and situations that we cannot see. And so whenever there's a gap between our reality and what God has promised, do you know what you fill in with that gap? Not doubt, not worry. We fill that gap in with trust. And, and that's our, our second fill-in. That, that when there's a gap between what we think should happen to a person or what we think should happen in life and what is actually happening, that we need to trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that God's got this and that he knows what he is doing. And there are times when people get away with things where when it comes to earthly consequences, it seems as if people got away with things. It seems as if their life is no worse, maybe sometimes even better. Sometimes there are earthly consequences for people who hurt us, and sometimes it seems as if they're not. But guess what? You and I have hurt people. You and I have done things that are wrong and sinful, and the same could be said for us, right? Sometimes there have been earthly consequences for things that we have done that were wrong and hurtful. And then other times, well, we kind of got away with it. And there weren't sinful cons- or hurtful consequences this side of heaven or this, in this earth, earthly consequences for what we've done. But, but when you look at all of this and you try to, try to view it through the brain of 
sinful human beings like we are is try to, to look at this entire world and all that God does with a very small view of a big picture that God sees, the reality is, is we can come away in questioning God's justice questioning whether, whether it's in your personal life or on a global stage, whether God is truly just, whether things truly are the way that God said it in Romans chapter 12 through Paul. So I thought for the rest of the message here, it would be good for us to just have a quick review on God's justice. Because understanding that God is just and he's got this will go a long way in answering the question of how do I forgive? And so for those of you who have read through the Old Testament or for those of you who have been Christians for a long time and have heard messages uh, on the Old Testament, one of the things that becomes really obvious is that worship was a lot different than, than it is now there were sacrifices of animals almost every time someone came to the temple. Imagine every time you came to church that you'd bring a lamb that you had raised with you or an, a, a goat or an animal. And as you walked in, Pastor Matt and I were at the front doors and we take your lamb or your goat that you, you love and you've taken care of and we take a big knife and we slash its throat. And then we take that animal and we, uh, I don't know if you can do this, but you pour out all the blood on the stage so that the front of the worship center is filled with the blood of your goat. And then we do this over and over and over and over. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that's not the best evangelism strategy to reach out to the community. Like they're the church that kills your goats. But this wasn't something that people just came up with in the Old Testament. It was something that God directed. The question becomes, why? Why all the dead animals and the blood and the gore and the burning of animal flesh? Why in all the world? Is that the same God of the New Testament? Absolutely. In the book of Leviticus, Moses writes this. He writes, the, the life of a creature is in the blood. With, without blood, you don't have life. And I have given it to you, the blood of animals, to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Our sin is serious. The person who hurts you, their sin is serious. God doesn't just look the other way. He doesn't think it's no big deal. In the Old Testament, it was sin that caused there to be thousands, hundreds of thousands of animals to be killed and their blood poured out because it represented just how serious wrongdoing and sin, and to use Paul's word, evil is to him. It's absolutely serious. He's a holy God. God hates my sin. And he hates the sin of the person who hurt you. 
And so sin needed to be atoned for. It, it needed, because we have a just God, it, it needed to be paid for. And in the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews writes this, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why? I'll say it again. Because that's how serious sin is. And God is a just God, and he can't just let it go or put it down until that sin has been paid for. Here's the thing about the Old Testament, though. All those animals that were killed, they didn't really pay for sin. They were just a shadow or a representation or a thing for us, the Old Testament people, to look ahead to the real sacrifice that was needed. A perfect substitute, a perfect sacrifice. His name was Jesus. Hebrews 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but on Good Friday, when Jesus is killed, have you ever asked yourself the question, or this might just be things pastors ask themselves, <laughs> why all the blood? Why blood everywhere? Was it just so Mel Gibson 2,000 years later could make a movie about it and make a lot of money, you know? Of course not. Was it just accidental happenstance? No. There was blood everywhere. There was blood on Jesus' head as the crown of thorns was pressed down. There was blood on his back as he was flogged. There was blood coming from his hands and his feet as he was nailed to the cross. There was blood coming out of his side as the soldier pierced his side with a spear. Blood everywhere. Why? Hebrews chapter 10. Made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Because we have a just God. Sin is never a not a big deal to him. It cost him the life and the blood of his son. And so when you look at the cross and when you think of forgiveness, I want you to recognize this, number three, that the cross is the place where God's justice and God's mercy meets. See, you have a God, back to Romans chapter 12, you have a God that is committed to both justice and to love and to forgiveness. And the cross was not only proof of how important justice is to him for my sin, for yours, for the person who hurt you, but also it was the open door to forgiveness. In, in a book that I've been referencing uh, in this series written by a pastor named Tim Keller, I, I thought he said it better than I could say it, so I'm just going to read what he said. Only a grasp of what Jesus did on the cross, this teaching or doctrine of substitutionary atonement, keeps us from thinking that God is mainly holy with some love or mainly loving with some holiness, but instead is both holy and loving equally, interdependently. He goes on, and 
only this view of God, that he's both holy and just at the very same time, makes the spoiled or the neglected into the healthy and the loved. Only this view of God and the cross enabled us to practice human forgiveness, giving equal weight to justice and to mercy. God's got this. And I know that we want to make it right and we want to show them that it was a big deal and we want to hold on to it. And I'm not saying this is easy, but God's got this. He understands the perfect balance between justice and forgiveness and we see it at the cross. So we said it before, trust that God knows what he's doing and let go of it. And work towards, as it says, being at peace with everyone. You see, I firmly believe that this is the better way to live. And when you quit holding on to something, guess what? There's more peace. It is a better way to live holding short accounts instead of being bitter. But more than just that it's a better way to live, the most important reason to forgive is because Jesus did. And the grace and forgiveness that comes to us needs to flow through us. Or to maybe say it this way, our fourth fill-in, it's not just people forgiving people. But when it's hard, when it's challenging, it's a good remembrance that forgiven people are to forgive people. Would you like to live with more peace? Would you like to, to let go of that hurt from long ago? Yeah, I bet you do. We all do. It starts at remembering what Jesus has done for us. When, uh, when Larry Nasser was finally um, on trial and in the courtroom, uh, Rachel had a chance to speak to him. And uh, I thought some of what she said was quite telling. She said, I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt. Whew, sounds bitter. Was she still holding on? Well, it continues so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me. Though I extend that to you today as well. Depending on what you've experienced, depending on the hurt, it can be hard to forgive. And I want you to know that I've been praying for you this series. Some of you by name. I pray that you would be so filled with the knowledge of God's grace and love and forgiveness for you that you might be moved to finally maybe put down and to let go of something. Yes, so that you can be more at peace. But more than that, because of the awesome love and grace that Jesus has shown for you. So when it's hard, look to the cross. When you want to throw it, look to the cross. When you want to hold on to it, look to the cross. 
because it's there that we find not only our forgiveness, but also the power to forgive. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we uh, said towards the beginning of the message, understanding what forgiveness is is easier than doing it. And I pray that as we today learned not only about how you promised to work even through hurt, but also about how justice and grace met at the cross, that we might be a people who are high on forgiveness and low on holding grudges. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need your grace. We need your love. We need your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.